Good afternoon. Welcome to the Healthy Indoors Show. I'm Bob Krell, publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. And uh, with me as always in the uh, co-host, co-pilot, uh, co-driver provocateur seat is the ever-present healthy building scientist of Hayward Score, Joe Medosh. Good to be here, Bob. Today's going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, was that just like a, a verbal uh, a verbal blast there? I think it's a precursor to how this show is going to go. So everyone, uh, we decided to do an interesting uh, segment that we that may become a recurring segment or we may bury it in the archives and never uh, see it again, depending on how things go today. Uh, but our plan here is uh, we're calling this the rundown. Um, and basically, Joe and I are going to free flow talking about uh, a variety of discussions on some of the current news topics related to the indoor environmental world. That's pretty much the sum summation, right? Oh, is that what we're doing today? Okay, good. Yeah. All right. We're on yeah, the same page. You can see how we prepare for shows. So, um, but the, I think it's in it. Wait, 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 wait. But you should, you, you, you don't tune out now. Hopefully, we've yeah. already lost you by looking to somewhere else. We will have some uh, great and interesting topics that we think are pertinent, and you can find out more about what we know or what we don't know. So, we look forward to your criticism. Yeah, and, and plus the likelihood is we'll actually say something witty and uh, entertaining. Uh, at the very least, we'll probably say something that uh, we'll regret later. But uh, with that with that said, we have uh, several topics, uh, and by several I mean there's about eight here. We'll never cover eight in sixty minutes. Um, but there, a lot of things have been going on since since we um, reintroduced the Healthy Indoor Show as a live stream back in March. Um, we've uh, covered a lot on the COVID nineteen uh, topic because obviously that's first and foremost. Uh, last uh, show before our break for the holiday last week, uh, we got into the issues of sustainability and racial justice, um, which was the uh, cover story from our June issue of Healthy Indoors magazine. Um, and, and obviously we always try to address timely, timely topics. Uh, we're on the heels of, uh, or I should say not on the heels, on the uh, front end of just about ready to release the July digital issue of Healthy Indoors. And we'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later. But Joe, is there, a, we have a list of topics here. Is there a particular thing um, that jumps out? You know, we've been doing this show for two months plus, almost three months now. Um, is there something that jumps out at you as the topic that we just haven't you know, there's more things to say or something you need to revisit of this list of topics. Yeah, not a revisit, but the, the one thing that I think is going to be a, a new part of um, our industry is that work from home, not just you working from home, but the actual ability to work with clients that are working from home or companies that have people working from home. So many of you do commercial assessments, some of you do residential, some of you do both, but there, there's just a new reality that we are actually told people stay home and you may stay home forever. You may not come back to our office, which is two hours from you and people are like thrilled, but, in the, but some of them are in their garage. Uh, some of them are in their, you know, really super moist basement trying to be productive when they have an environment that probably is impacting them and they would not have had it work. You know, there's no more for sure fresh air that you could get from a commercial property. So I think that's something that we'll address today is what we do and don't know. And I think that's our, a new coming tangent into indoor air quality is working with people that work from home. Well, let's, let's run with that a little bit because you, uh, the, the tail end of what you just said was, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have the fresh air you have in your office and, you know, <laughs> having been an uh, IQ consultant I for the last 34, yeah, for the last 34 laughed, years, right. 
I could say with without a lot of uh, uncertainty that not every office has uh, great fresh air in it. Let me rephrase because I, I tell people there is no such thing as fresh air. So if anybody does watch this, they'd be like, Joe, what are you, what are you saying? There's no such thing as fresh air. So it's outdoor air. It's replacement air. Uh, you have no idea what is around you, what's on that rooftop. That's ex So a lot of times commercial buildings have their exhaust from the kitchen right next to where they have their air intake that's bringing in the replacement air. So that th those are some of the common issues. But, but in general, just by design uh, and their in design literally means some engineer signed off on the amount of air that that. Um, commercial building is required to have, whether it's sure. good, bad, or doesn't have it is different, but uh, residential homes are not required to have replacement air or, you know, we call it fresh air. Make, so yeah, they're, they're, yeah, yeah, make up air, air. makeup air. Yeah. That's right. right. Uh, and, and again, you know, some of the way that's been addressed in homes, right. Oh, you know, uh, the ASHRAE, the most recent ASHRAE incarnations for ASHRAE 62, as far as the residential um, aspects of it ha have been to, uh, you know, have some air changes in an indoor environment, but one of the provisions that's been allowed uh, traditionally is to use, uh, you know, cycling a bathroom exhaust fan to provide air changes in, in a residence, which I've Let's always... call it what it is. It's the fart fan. It's a, it's the fart fan. I would rather okay. use that term than call it an exhaust fan. You just wanted fan. to say it, that. It, it, yeah. No, well, because I, it, it's really what it is. I mean, that's what it's been used for uh, as long as it's been around. It's for the fact, moisture of your shower too. Stop it. It's not just. It's not just for when you're you're doing a number two. That's uh, come on. Okay, but ironically, some places have a water closet or a toilet room, uh, and that's where the fan is installed. I'm like, well, if it in was that case, it would appropriately sure. be termed the fart fan if it was in just a water closet. Yes, yes I agree. Right. If it's a central, but, but that's not a strategy. That is actually a. You know, a, a minor requirement. In fact, you know, I, I have a couple of soapboxes, but one of them is is that building science isn't real because engineering your trusses and your foundation on a home that's real. Somebody signs off on that, but actually, the the concept of ventilation as being part of building code or building science just really uh, invalidates building science because we don't believe in it. We don't actually promote it. We don't make sure that that home really stands strong as well as it does as well ventilated. So we really kind of like get washy about like, oh, you know what? It's important, but not enough to actually make people do it or do it well. So I really think building science is got a lot of BS in it because it can't, can't stand strong Ooh. on the things that are really important. Going right after the acronym. Um, so what's interesting I, I think, but that whole concept of like, you know, saying that, well, we're going to use exhaust ventilation and that's going to create air changes in the house. Yeah. But not the desired way you do air changes in a good indoor environment, you know, because if you're, if you're depressurizing a, a pretty tight building, where is the makeup air coming from? It's coming through interstitial spaces, right? It's finding its right, way through right. crawl spaces, through attics, through wall cavities around uh, utility plates, you know, electrical plates. Um, this is not the air you want to be breathing. This is not your, your fresh air. <laughs> I, that whole concept to me is totally asinine. I, I don't. Well, I know that, that uh, LBL LBL went on a statement and actually saying that they believe that your insulated walls, you know, a two by two by four with uh, um, uh, fiberglass, is actually a MERV can be a MERV eight or even a MERV thirteen. So there are um, people think of that as like, well, I am filtering my house, but like, what are you filtering it with, and where does that uh, air come from, and you know, do you actually have a mm -hmm. uh, crawl space or uh, other interstitial spaces that actually are really kind of nasty. So, yeah, I think they were, and I think that was Brett Singer's uh, work that him and his group were doing and, and they were um, out at LBL, they, but, but they were, they were looking at it in terms mostly um, I think in reaction to the wildfires in California and, and how that was like, it was definitely a positive effect of 
you know, pulling air through the wall cavity in those cases, because you did get, you know, kind of a low end fiberglass uh, filtration effect. Yeah. Or that's, yeah. Our, our, our buddy Larry Zarker, uh, the CEO of BPI there, uh, taking a whiff of air through interstitial space. And, and I would question whether air coming through a wall cavity that looked like that would really be uh, the air that I'd want to be filtering uh, through the, you know, uh, of course. I so do you it. know, do you know what the, is in the wall? Uh, well, I see, your I house think yeah. well, exactly. You're, you're laboring under the pretense that you do know what's in the wall when you, when you make that assumption that the walls are filtration. And, and you know what, I won't disagree that there is a filtering effect of your fiberglass insulation in a wall cavity when the air moves through it, because there, you know, there obviously is some impingement well, that, and filtration. That's what there. they make filters out of. Yeah. They make well, that's why it turns black. black. Yeah, right. You go into an yeah, old, right. old wall and down by the baseboards, the insulation's all dark colored. You know, if it was yellow or pink insulation, it's usually black around those edges. So, yeah. Okay. So I, I want to take credit. I made that prop. Uh, that prop is, oh man, over two you years made that? old now. I made that. That's my prop that I made. Uh, and I gave it to Larry to, uh, you know, take around to all the conferences and then they stopped. In fact, it actually had real termites in it. So when they, uh, and I gave him a nice case. What's wrong um, with you? You gave him a thing with yeah, well, a box with termites and he's woofing on real, it. Real termites. That's right. And uh, when he, but there, that's not real insulation. I never, I always use cotton to make it look like insulation. So um, that's cotton. But anyway, so that's cotton. That's right. Those rocks. So um, yeah. uh, when they, it was just dirty, dirty uh, uh, white insulation, but that's what it's supposed to be. But when they opened it up and took it out, all these little bugs would go flying all over the, the, the counter. So yeah, there you go. So uh, you may see this in other, many people have actually asked me to make them and I'm like, I don't have the time, but please feel free to make one of those and use it. Do, as your do you have prop. the termites? Uh, termites are uh, extra. In fact, I just went to some ditch and just got some nice used wood <laughs> and it actually had termites in it. So yeah. perfect. Um, okay. Well, I mean, that, that graphic raises questions that I don't even want to broach right now. Um, first of all, why would anybody want to breathe that? But the, that's, I mean, I think it, it illustrates the point that you don't really know what's in those interstitial spaces. And so I, I would question whether depressurizing a house as a source of bringing in fresh air is really a great strategy. I, you know, my, my 34 plus years as an IQ guy can't buy into that. Uh, yeah, but that is a um, one of the, the things that we're doing right now to many, many homes is actually retrofitting them with that kind of system. Uh, some people are promoting that, oh, let's just do some supply air. And, and if you lived in Florida or some, you know, the South is really the, the definition there. If you live in the South and you're doing supply ventilation, then you are just making uh, a Petri dish inside your ductwork or your house or wherever that air is coming in from. So if you're not uh, accounting for the latent load on that outside air you're bringing in. I mean, yeah, if you have a system that's that actually dehumidifying it, then yeah. you can do that. You're, you're talking, you could, that's you're, right. So if you, you're talking like a scuttle, a scuttle thing where there's just literally a flap door, it's bringing in unconditioned air and dumping it into the system. People even doing the powered. You're the people who are doing a powered. Well, uh, but uh, I mean the same concept. Right. It's not really treating the air though. You're just dumping it into the air. Straight. That's right. Yeah, that's right. As opposed to using we like, had, we uh, did a, ERV a, technology or you know some other type technology to dry it. Or you know we had Nikki on here from uh, you know, Ultra Air, and uh, that's clearly you know there are other manufacturers, but that's the kind of way you must address that. Is actually as soon as it comes in, it's dehumidified, and then you have options of where you're going to distribute that. So those are the things that if you're not addressing the humidity then you will regret it really quickly. It only takes about a month before you realize you made a mistake. So, so I will mention now, um, we do have our Q&A line open. Um, I know many of you are probably watching this via one of our uh, 
ancillary feeds through Facebook because we have it, uh, we're streaming to a lot of Facebook pages globally right now. Uh, and you really won't have direct access to the, uh, to the uh, Q&A and that sort of thing from Facebook. You can't really get there because we don't monitor the Facebook, uh, you know, at your end where you're seeing it. Uh, if you are interested in uh, asking Joe or I a, a question or throwing a comment in, um, I would recommend that you actually go to healthyindoors.com, click on the HI show tab, and then in, you know, in that stream where our video is streaming right below it is a Q&A box that you can actually ask questions and they'll pop up here. What I would like to mention is at that location right now in the Q&A stream, um, I'm going to do this so I don't forget, Joe. I'm, I'm just going to do this plug right now. So I, I put a, a, a link there. So there's a very interesting uh, webinar coming up, a free webinar next Tuesday. Uh, it's 1 p.m. Eastern uh, Daylight Time. Uh, uh, it's being sponsored by the Paul Corporation, Paul Medical. And it, it's uh, the title of it is Reopening Hotels, Office Buildings, and Healthcare Facilities After, COVID, uh, after the COVID-19 Pandemic. And the, sub, the subtitle and really the topic is Managing Legionella Risks in Building Water Systems. And uh, the uh, guest on that show is Dr. David Krauss, one of our uh, very regular uh, uh, featured guests here on, on the Healthy Indoor Show. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, I'll be hosting that. So uh, David and I will actually be doing that free webinar uh, for uh, Paul Medical. It's going to be of technical nature, you know, a little more technical than we do on the Healthy Indoors show. Uh, so that's something the link is in our Q&A on HI.com. We'll put it up on the site again later. So it is it is something free. And if it's something that you have an interest in, uh, I would think facility managers, especially people in healthcare and, and so anybody that's been involved with buildings that have been shut down due to COVID, and some of the you know the pandemic closures and that now in a reopening mode uh david's going to really broach that subject of what happens if you've had your hydronic system shut down you haven't been circulating circulating water and uh, you know your building's been sitting vacant for a few months you know you, can you just fire it up without maybe increasing your legionella exposure so anyway yeah i've been promoting that message that we got from him a long time ago as to one of the things you should be super cautious about and uh Ironically, we have not seen that because there's other things just dominate the news. So yeah, it's just uh, that people have are coming back, right? Yeah. It's gonna ha it's gonna happen a lot, unfortunately, because a lot of the potable water systems are already under chlorinated. You know, and some by design, some just by actual practice. So you you already have almost a perfect storm for a Legionella amplification. As soon as you sit those water systems stagnant, right, for a period of time, you're not running them. Now the chance of getting amplification, you know, Legionella pneumophilia growing in your your water systems, it's a lot higher. So say that three, yeah. say that three times fast, right? Legionella so pneumophilia. What, yeah, right. I, I've been teaching so, but, it for a while. Yeah, I know you have. It's not in my immediate wheelhouse. So, but let's talk about that as a concept real quick. So, um, you know, I, I actually did travel. Um, I went out from. I live in Colorado. I went to California and. Um, there are a variety of conditions that, you know, I, I have less concern with than others. And I'm like, this could be, well, I, I don't know everything about it. So you're talking about hotels. So let's just kind of jump into a few other topics that we may not know the answers to, but we have some good questions about. So to me, the one thing that happened in hotels, which I did try to find out from some of our great uh, people or panelists that have been on here is that there's a variety of stuff that, that will get cleaned when they transfer the room. I, I feel mm -hmm. confident in that they'll wipe down touch surfaces. In fact, they probably sat there long enough that I have low risk and I'm not going to lick the table um, or anything like that, but they change the sheets, but the pillows, the pillows are actually a kind of concern for me because people are right there on their face, right there for many hours. And then they change the pillowcase, but that pillow I'm itself. I'm concerned about the, concern. the bedspread too, but that's another story. 
Yes, that's right. Yeah, I usually don't use it, but okay. But so I the advice the I got as I walk in the room. Uh, anyway, yeah, sorry. So I, I always keep my pillow. I, I travel with my own pillow, so I'm like that, that, that's at least one step away. So you travel with um, your own blankie too, Bob. <laughs> I'm sorry. I also have a fan, so there's a th- that's why I always pack these huge bags so they have my blankie and a, and a pillow. So, um, but what I've learned is that you can the hotel should be either taking them out of commission or at least putting them in the dryer. The dryer could actually um, make them a safer uh, exposure, uh, but most hotels clearly can't do that or don't do that. So that is a significant challenge. So I don't think hotels are like you know have a lot of like people coming in. So uh, I would definitely be asking them because sometimes they'll be like, well, you know what, we're only going to like use these five rooms because we don't want to go all over the hotel and do this kind of cleaning afterwards. So I would be asking questions about who, when was this room last used um, as one well, of my. And, and, yeah. And also really how they do the cleaning procedures. You know, I'm, I can't remember which show it was on. I think it might've been 60 minutes uh, years back where they showed, uh, you know, housekeeping staff in some high end hotels where they don't use the disposable cups. They have the glasses. I used I labored under the pretense that somebody from catering would you know pick up the glasses they bring new clean glasses up to the room and I didn't realize that it was generally the housekeeper in their latex gloves the same gloves they have the toilet bowl handle with actually in those gloves washing the glasses and sitting in there putting little cardboard caps over them with those same gloves on I, I also I, take my own glass I, I, I do, do not ever use glasses at a hotel but you know and and that yeah. was so do you think so here's a good follow-up to that. So do you think that now with COVID-19 that maybe hotels are more more uh, thorough with this? Oh, I think they're over thorough with some, some hotels are over thorough with it. So that means instead of being having a risk of COVID, you've got a, a risk of bleach exposure or your lungs are going to get like uh, exposed to things they normally wouldn't have because they are now doing you know super like well if the formula says 10 to 1 that means you know one part of this chemical and 10 water they're like well, that's good then 50 percent is better um not realizing what is in those chemicals or what the exposure is so i do think that is actually a greater risk or some of them are fogging the heck out of these rooms uh and leaving a surface of chemicals uh, throughout that so I, I don't think people really understand it in fact they don't understand the concept of cleaning versus disinfectant. And I've done a lot of, uh, I have a recording on my uh, on my LinkedIn page you can download that really focuses on what those are. And most people keep using disinfectant as a cleaner. They spray it on and they wipe it off. They never read the back. Uh, e- even some of the, the common stuff we use that are, you know, brand names like Lysol or, uh, um, uh, who's the other one that? that uh, oh, you're going to get Procter and Gamble first before you're done, but okay. Yeah, no, no, but, but on the back it says this must stay wet for sometimes two to three to five minutes. So or some even ten minutes. Some of the products actually minutes. have ten minutes. Yeah, right. Yeah, but most of them over uh, over the counter two, are two only, to three. Yeah, yeah, two that's because they're more but toxic. People don't know that. I mean, you know, let, let, let's right. let's get real here too. The reason that some of these products are able to uh, have a much uh, uh, faster kill rate, you know, versus some of the other ones, is that a lot of the products that we're, we're sold as consumers that we can buy in our local supermarket are chemicals that you couldn't use in a commercial environment in, a, in like a, an office building because they're, they're the toxicity levels of some of these chemicals are pretty bad. They do have some exceptions, but some of them are only a kill rate of like 99.99, which to us seems like a lot, but for a commercial uh, industrial hygienist, they're like, that ain't doing it. So 
Well, in healthcare, anyway, the point is, is that log, yeah. Anyway, but okay. yeah, that's right. Or five log, yeah, right. So, uh, but the, the reality is, is that hotels are in a uh, predicament. So uh, we at Hayward Score actually are working with a couple of, of resorts that are not the traditional room next to room to try to see if we can't advise them on things they should be doing to uh, to do that. So, um, and it's not easy. Um, nor is does, does that mean your staff doesn't say like this this cleaner you got me doesn't for you got for me doesn't work. So they just bring something from home because their job goes quicker when they use something that just gets rid of that stain immediately or scrubs that stuff off. So just because the hotel says they're using something, unless you go see that cart that the person is cleaning, you don't know what you're getting. Yeah. Well, see, and that's also true with, uh, you know, I've seen that in uh, schools because I've done you know, over my uh, 30 plus mm-hmm. years as a consultant, done a lot of uh, school consulting. And uh, yeah, you know, teachers bringing in products from home and having it, you know, especially in elementary schools where they have the classrooms with the sinks and, you know, that, that sort of environment. And under that sink, they'll have all these cleaning products that aren't necessarily sanctioned by the school district. And they don't, they're not even considering the chemical interactivities between A and B putting them together. You know, it's like, kind of important i one of the things with hotel rooms i don't know about you uh when i check into a hotel i typically do not allow housekeeping back in the room even if i'm there for four or five days i'll stop and grab you know meet them in the hall grab some towels but i don't want any more chemicals sprayed in my room while while i'm there yeah right you're i'm with you right i'm relatively neat i don't need to have my my room uh you know uh fumigated every day well, I, you know, I don't make my bed, you know, every morning. So why do I need to have that done? When I'm well, yeah, why would so I do it in a hotel? Yeah. But but it's just a matter of actually reducing the cost of your your impact when you travel. So, all right, I got one. So since we'll, we'll stick with uh, uh, hotels and then we'll move to schools. Um, when I, I take my soap with me, whenever I'm done, I, I use either shampoo is, I try to use a minimal, but clearly I don't need much. But um, but my soap, I'm really concerned. That, you know, the only thing they do is throw that away. They there is recycling programs that nobody uses. So I have a baggie. I take my soap home. I haven't bought soap in probably four years because I just take home the extra hotel bar that's soap. already used. Hotel soap. It's not the greatest soap, but I'm really not too uh, concerned about some of those uh, those conditions. But if it smells really funky, then it goes and tr- I don't use it. So mm-hmm. um, my, my yeah. wife and I are the other extreme. We tend to bring all of our personal products with us because um, we just really eliminated all the uh, you know commercial cleaner type stuff. You know, so the only thing we're buying is like uh, personal hygiene products that are like coconut oil and stuff like that. And so we really. And I thought she was crazy about that five years ago, but now I've gotten to the point where if I use like a hotel shampoo that's heavily fragranced, it makes me nuts. I'm not even used to it anymore. It's just like, Ugh. so we will know if anybody ever watches this show because they're going to come up to us and make all kinds of comments about our personal travel habits. So they're, yeah, they're going to ask, in a, in a they're gonna ask if you take my soap. So you mentioned schools. I, I really want to like did. jump on schools uh, as a concept because we, as uh, on this show and on a variety of stuff, we've not even addressed this. And just how complex is that? It's not just going sending a bunch of people back to a commercial environment uh, where they actually are already probably three or four feet away from each other. Kids are not. Kids can actually just reach out and smack each other mm-hmm. uh, where, where they sit, which means anything they're breathing is going around and. Uh, the, the the key thing I got from it was that maybe the kids aren't getting that sick. We don't know because we haven't exposed them to this kind of environment, but you need teachers who are adults and can get uh, sick from things being transferred throughout that. So support staff too, custodians, uh, all the other support right? staff that's there. Yeah. 
right? So I came up with this and I did not have a chance to preference, but I'm sure you can wing it. So, okay, if you are the guy in charge of a school system, you know, what would you implement, Bob? And if you want a second, then I'll try to force that because I didn't get, I didn't prepare for myself, but I knew I was going to ask it. It's like, what, you know, there are things that are, and what's really, here's what's sad is that the CDC has some very minimum requirements, okay? And the president, which, which, which apparently saying, you don't even have to follow now. Um, but he's actually reducing them. He's trying to get. I know. Those, that's those what I'm saying. Even the min- their bare minimum is now considered. Well, it's not necessary because uh, we want to open schools back up. Yeah. So, and, and I, I'm a parent. Uh, my kids don't, are no longer in grade school, but I totally get that. My wife is a teacher, and she understands. Yeah, you can't keep kids home and, and get the economy in, in any fashion back to normal, and you can't mm-hmm. make statewide judgments. Is also the thing I want to say out there. It's just because. Your parts of your state have like severe issues, you know, like Texas is a massive state and there's these larger cities have issues, but that doesn't mean that that whole state needs to shut down their school system. So we have not adopted a, we, we don't have a, a national policy to say that if your local area has these conditions. So we're now leaving it up to local areas to make decisions that they may not be familiar with or become politically involved, mm-hmm. but we really need to figure out a way to focus on a local decision-making process that has some validity. So that's the, I think that one way we're going to do this. So now Wouldn't you, you think, think though you it. need, you need federal guidance to be able to develop the criterion to be able to do that on yes. a local basis. I agree that you have to yeah. do local, you know, sampling, uh, you know, and, you know, any of the epidemiologic type, you know, and not saying you have to do full epidemiological studies, but just saying, you know, that type of a mindset would normally fall on the local health departments. But they, you know, do they really have the resources or even the, the wherewithal or know-how to, to be able to do it for this, the, you know, these circumstances? No, I totally agree. We need some type of like, uh, here's your governance and apply that locally. And we need rapid mm-hmm. tests. It, it, I, I'm shocked that we have, have not been able to figure out, you know, the, the most creative, uh, you know, we claim to be so innovative and creative. And we do not have a rapid COVID test by now. I did that is shocking that we, we may have a, the fastest vaccine ever. Uh, but we could not come up with a rapid test that, that is shocking to me that we still are struggling with that. So, yeah. Well, right, you know, back to schools. yeah, I mean, yeah, back to school, back to back to schools. And, uh, you know, just uh, as of uh, yesterday, I don't have the email in front of me. I'll, I'll bring it up at some point here. Um, the uh, there's a coalition, uh, the Healthy Schools Network and another organization from New Jersey, which I am remiss because we got the press release yesterday and I didn't hard copy it in front of me right now. Um, but it will be uh, this whole back to school issue and some of the questions on what would be the safe way to, to reoccupy schools. That's our cover story for the July issue of Healthy Indoors. So we, uh, we will be delving into that real heavy in the next week. Well, give us, give us some, your, you know, off the cuff, you know, your well, I mean, response. you know, cleaning procedures, right. You know, and, and schools, and many schools already have done good, you know, or at least implemented programs for high touch surfaces anyway, as part of just the indoor environmental, you know, protocols over the last decade, you know, things have improved a little in some, in some areas. Um, progressive school districts have done a pretty good job with it. Some school districts that are underfunded and understaffed probably haven't done a very good job at all. Um, again, we're back to that same issue, I believe, with schools of certain communities are very underserved, just like, you know, going back to our conversation two weeks ago. Um, you know, so it's not it's not even uniform with schools. When you talk about schools, there's schools and there's schools. There's new high tech schools with, that are well funded and heavily staffed and, you know, have great resources to, to do things. And they have sufficient space to spread kids out and they have, you know, state of the art HVAC equipment. You know, some schools do have that. Right. Some. But then you got the older building stock all over the country of, you know, especially in the underserved uh, communities 
that these schools are decrepit already. I mean, they're already a bad indoor environment before you even add COVID-19 to the mix. So, I, so I, I, there's no simple answer, but I think you have to have some really good guidance, you know, so that you, it's got to be more like a checklist approach, almost like the way Tools for Schools uh, from EPA years past. I'm not saying that was an end-all solution, but it was kind of getting you to go through a checklist and a series of checklists. Yeah, it yeah. Get you at least gets you thinking and asking the questions. It, I don't think there's going to be guidance that's going to provide all the answers right now, but there should at least it's going to be important to at least have the questions and have the questions asked and, and brought forward. And, and that's this document that's just uh, just released this week, um, which we'll, we'll share um, in our uh, post show. You know, we'll have it up on the website and it's actually going to be, again, featured in the upcoming issue of Healthy Indoors next week. Um, you know, I, I think but, you just got to well, have a plan. You got to make a plan. You got to make a plan. You can't just open the buildings back up and say back to business. Well, there are uh, a lot of malls across the country. There are communities are saying you, you, the mall owner, mustn't install a high or particulate filtration system, which New is York just mandated not cheap that for, today. That's right. Yeah. But why are they not doing that for a school? So I, I, I'm like, yo, so in order for a mall to allow a bunch of people to usually be reasonably socially distanced apart, the people aren't going to be cramming in like they do on Black Friday uh, to require that. Like that, you would think that that would be a requirement for a school, which probably has a similar system on its roof that doesn't should though. be adapted to have that. That's the thing. I would, I would argue that the bulk of the building stock or a good percentage of the building stock of schools, because I've worked as a consultant in schools for in the last 30 plus years, do not have good centralized systems, especially the older buildings. Mm-hmm. Many schools, you know, throughout the United States don't have central air conditioning. So a lot of them, you know, have more of a hydronic system where they have, you know, um, hot water uh, radiators yes, yeah. and, and, and they really, yeah. you know, or the individual classrooms will have unit ventilators. That's, that's a common thing too, or if they, you know, if they design the classroom, so there's, you have a unit ventilator, like a little fan coil unit uh, ventilating outdoors, right. they don't Keep have capacity acting. for good filtration. They put really low yeah. end filters in those things. Oh yeah, they well, don't have the, keep, you know, there's not static the right pressure thing. to be able to, and, and that's a question for homes too. Like you know, oh, upgrade to a MERV 13 or better filter. Well, that's a great concept, except that a lot of our mechanical equipment can't support the static pressure drop across a heavy filter. Well, I think they should go with the uh, every school should do a project the first day to make you know box fan filter systems. You know where you know the, you have your graphic for that. You might as well show that while you're while yeah. You're here. Sure, I'll bring that up. Sure, Joe's yeah. box fan. Yeah. So um, what it actually is doing, um, it's uh, here somewhere. Uh, you got it. There we go. Um, so what you're trying to do, as I'll describe it, as I also try to figure out how to share the screen, which always is a challenge, is that you just take a regular box fan. It costs 20 bucks. You can get them anywhere. Probably same place you're buying your groceries. And um, then you are creating a... Um, a filter now the the filter can range it depends on whatever filter you have access to to be blunt is better than no filter so um, if you go to your store most of them have a four inch filter that is usually then a merv or equivalent 13 uh, fpr 10 or something similar so and, and they'll state on there you can look up if you're not sure what that is but they take a good better best and you're looking for something that is the best and the thicker it is the better it is so that's really your goal the thicker it is it means more air removed through it and you're not stressing out the system and you can run it on low flow. So you can go to uh, haywardscore.com forward slash articles box fan and actually download our instructions on how to do this. It's pretty straightforward. You're just going to really tape it. The thing you're trying to keep track of is that the air moves in the same direction that the fan is or the filters telling you. They've got arrows on the, on the sides of the filters says air moves this way and it should move into the back of the fan. 
So the air is moving through the filter, through the fan and out the front of the fan. That's the best way to install that. So do not put the filter on the front of the fan. It's not as effective. So your goal is to, you know, use these on low. You can put them anywhere in your house. You can take them to schools. Depends on the fan you get, depends on kind of how loud it is. But in general, they're, you can still uh, hear your TV on top of it. It may sound actually not as loud as some HVAC system. So uh, these are a, a simple method to actually uh, do something that would reduce the particulates, right? So many people I've heard claim that, oh, we capture the COVID-19 virus. Well, first of all, you don't know what the COVID-19 virus is doing. We, we have still little studies on that specific virus. So you can just say viruses, but in general, yeah, you, you got to go all the way up to a HEPA filter, which is actually a MERV-17 super high efficiency filtration system. Those are very expensive and not installed in most residential, in fact, very few commercial places, but even they can have viruses that could may not get caught. But viruses don't travel around, you know, like other particles that we see, in fact, they're so small, they usually just attach to something else. Mm -hmm. So the dust in your house, other particles that are um, uh, able to be inhaled, right, are usually mm -hmm. where the, how that virus is transmitted. So it grabs onto little moisture particles or little dust particles. Mm -hmm. That's what the filtration is capturing. So you can say you're capturing viruses, but in theory, you're capturing the things that viruses you're capturing the larger, have, larger particles that's are right. glommed onto. And in that's the case right. of COVID-19, yeah. uh, general consensus is that it's mostly in uh, mucus droplets, right, for the most part. Right, right. I mean, it's still potentially in dust and surface surface materials but you know the the rate of transmission right you know that it's not really clearly defined on how much how much that's an actual transmission point but the one thing that is um that came out of this was our immense studies of what comes out of our mouth I, i'm just blown away by because there weren't that many studies a year ago at this time talking about like you know how much sputum or uh, other things are transmitted just from talking or some more than others or yelling. Yeah. Right. And uh, I, I'm blown away by all the studies. Some of them are a little uh, become artificial. You've seen some of those about masks, but there's some other, I have a whole folder full of stuff about uh, how far things transfer um, that come out of your, um, your, your, your mouth, and, you know, even just breathing. So six again, feet's really cool. actually not, Yeah. Right. Like, do you agree with the six yeah. foot? Um, no, it's no. not, it's not, it's not sufficient no. really. Well, people are like, oh, we're six feet away. We can take our masks off. Well, you know yeah. what? There's, do you really need a reason to take your mask off? I mean, if, if there is some, if you're eating or drinking, I got that. But otherwise, you know, if you're around multiple people that you think are still six feet away, I, I, I don't feel that's a really safe environment to want to do that. I've never liked close talkers anyway. So the only positive benefit I see of this COVID-19 pandemic is that now I have a reason to stay the hell away from people um, and keep them out of my face. But Honestly, back off. Right. Yeah, I'm really not comfortable spending any extended time in an indoor environment with other people right now. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'll be honest with you, and it's not, it's not paranoia. It's not being crazy. It, it's like I'm just a realist because I do understand the dynamics of how those droplets fly and everything. And uh, you know, and, and even if you have MERV 13 or better filtration in the, the mechanical systems, you're with that, you know, you're laboring under the pretense that the air in your breathing zone has been filtered before it came out of somebody else's mouth and got to your mouth. And, and that's, you know, a best case scenario, even with well-engineered airflow and stuff, that's not generally the case anyway. Right. I mean, you're reducing the, the bio load with good filtration, but you're not eliminating it. Um, so that brings us to one of the things we actually did want to talk about, which is, um, in fact, I, I 
you know, oh, there's a lot of things that I wanted to talk about, Joe. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that I've dominated the conversation. Uh, I know you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's a, it's a reversal role reversal today. So, all right. We did want to talk about masks, which is Rolled leading away. us to, the, I, I think we're actually doing a good job, but things are just kind of rolling and flowing into from one to the other. We, we had no idea. We, we thought we could be stuck here with silence going, uh, what do you want to talk about next? But Were the two of us in one room? Case. Silence? Yeah. But, Highly unlikely. So the, so the whole, what comes out of your mouth leads us to, what do you stop the things that come out of your mouth? So um, I, I, I don't think people are given enough credit to what the masks can do. They're, they're not the end all be all, but they are your first and last stop to spreading uh, a variety of things, including the COVID virus. So they also could be a major reduction in flu and colds and a variety of stuff because you're just not you know, transferring stuff from close or there's documents that say up to 60 feet. If somebody coughs or sneezes, that can stay, that's the smallest particle stay in the air long enough for up to six hours. All right. Um, That actually can go much further. So there's a variety of studies that do prove that things can go past six feet. Uh, But once Mm -hmm. you put a mask on, they are incredibly reduced. So why don't we talk briefly about um, some masks and some options and uh, why well, let, they are. The, the let's mid- define define the terms, because one of the things <clears throat> that's been one of my pet peeves um, is the term mask being used interchangeably. You know, the term N95 mask, <laughs> you know, people say that like, oh, here, here's here's what pe- many people are referring to as an N95 mask. OK, uh, here's your Chinese equivalent. You know, KN95, right? Oh, yeah, same, same one um, here. Yeah. Okay, but it's not a mask, okay? By definition, by OSHA, okay, by 1910.1033, right? This is like, these are respirators, okay? Terminology, these are respirators. But wait, let's this, clarify that. This, it's a respirator these are disposable respirators. Says, Hang on. Yeah, but it's because it says, yeah. Well, this is a disposable P100 respirator. Turn it to the right side. This is a full-face air purifying P100 filtrate, you know, filtration uh, respirator. This is a respirator. Okay. This is a homemade fabric mask. They serve different purposes. Okay. The, the point being is that, you know, that's why we've had all this miscommunication or changed communication uh, throughout the course of this pandemic, whereas people are saying, oh, you know, uh, you know, masks don't do any good. Well, when the term at that term, masks don't really protect the wearer massively. There's a little protection, right? There's some protection by wearing a fabric mask because big droplets are still repelled by that. But for the most part, these aren't airtight fitting. So when you're wearing you know, a fabric mask or a surgical mask, why, why does a surgeon wear a mask in surgery? They wear a surgical mask not to protect them. Well, now maybe they do, but you know, Previously, it was to stop them from spewing their droplets down in the open wound into the operating theater, you know, on, on the surfaces, because it's to protect the the patient from being exposed to what's coming out of the, the doctor's uh, mouth and nose. Okay, so that's so the mask is to protect those around you. That's the premise behind a mask. A respirator, on the other hand, right, especially one with an exhalation valve like this, this P100 is designed to protect the wearer. This is a HEPA filtered mask protecting what's coming in, but it just has an exhalation valve, which means there's a little flapper valve on the inside. So my breath blows right out without any filtration. I, I'm not protecting anybody around me by wearing this. I'm protecting me. It's a very self-centered, uh, re- the respirator is. Now, the, the thing in between those, right? Because that's, that's how the conversation has gotten. I, I know I'm belaboring this, but I, I think it's really important that people understand it. 
and what, what's gotten a little bit confusing is that some of these respirators, the non-ventilated respirators, these are again, 95s. This is an N95. This is a Chinese KN95. These don't, these don't have exhalation valves. So these both protect the wearer and they also offer protection, really good protection for those around you because you're filtering, you know, in theory, you're filtering in both directions with these. So I just want to clarify your, one of your points, and that is that uh, when it says N or P or R on the, the device itself, okay, if it says anything, it means it's NIOSH has rated it. The company confirms that it meets a, a criteria, and then it is a respirator. If it doesn't say you know N or P or uh, R anything, then it is a face covering. That's another term that's out there. So uh, you can call it a mask. That's right. So uh, m most places are saying you must have a face covering. So in the term mask is clearly used universally, but the, the difference is, let's clarify one thing. So if you are uh, somebody who has people that work for you and you are telling them that they need to wear a face covering, you're actually telling them, according to OSHA, you have to wear a mask, okay? Which means you actually have to wear a respirator. Two things have to happen is that they have to do a- Are, are you though? Oh, you, you're going you to, are. According to OSHA, you, you, if you tell somebody they have to wear a mask, then you are you are guide, telling them. Well, no, they're telling them to wear respiratory protection. See, I'm telling you, this is this is dicey. If if, if it's not a, a device that requires fit testing, which these do, right? Because these are respirators. But what about a surgical mask? Do you have to? Have, no, you don't have to have fit testing to wear one. So I don't know. So, 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 but most, uh, many, many, many businesses are saying here, I got these good masks for you. I got a nice N95 mask. For they're misterming it. They're calling them masks and they're respirators. Right. Okay. I see where you're right. Going. So, yeah. but you, you have to do a fit test. Not Absolutely. only that, but every manufacturer for every one of their masks has a specific PDF and there are hundreds of these. So if you give them, if you give um, you know, Bob, this mask, and you give Joe a different mask, each one of them is supposed to get a PDF on how to use that mask. They may look identical. They're the same concept of put it on and put the things over and how to take it off. So all those are the same, um, but that, those are your liabilities that you must do, as well as there's some uh, free online training from OSHA. But again, don't get caught in somebody getting sick and coming back to you and saying, you didn't educate me well about how to use this mask. I wasn't wearing it correct. How many people have we seen on TV that have their mask upside down? Right. Or, like, you know, the uh, nose. Well, here's the yeah, other yeah. thing, too. Again, and you're using the term mask, which I, I caution you to say respirator, because I think that's the, sure. you're, you know, we've all been part of this. Cause I've, I've been guilty of it, too. I've been saying mask and I, I really try to catch myself now and call them respirators, because thank to you. me, the term respirator denotes the fact you need to have fit test, annual fit test at minimum. You need to have a, a written respiratory protection program if you're wearing it as part of your work. Right. And you're supposed to have either a pulmonary function check or at least some sort of a medical screening clearance by a medical professional to say that you're medically capable with your pulmonary and cardiovascular system to actually wear one of these respirators without putting, you know, uh, undue strain that could cause uh, medical issues for you. To clarify, I thought that was only if you had the, uh, the full the, the respirator with the additional and 95 respirator requires the same rules. Okay. All right. These are supposed to be. These are supposed to be fit tested. Yes, fit tested is different from actually a, a respiratory test with a physician. 
What well, you have to no, you don't have to have a, a physician doesn't oh, you oh, don't oh, have, a, have a seal to check. Do the, it's a seal check. Sorry. No, 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 no. Hang on. The, you, there's a six okay. page form that has to be filled out and signed by a medical professional. It could be a nurse practitioner or a nurse, you know, or there's people that are, you know, other skilled that you have to so you, at bare minimum, you have to fill that out as part of your respiratory protection program, right? It's an OSHA form that you that you fill out and it's a questionnaire. Basically, it asks a bunch of questions about your medical history. And then a medical uh, person needs to screen that and decide, yes, you're, you're, you're okay to wear it or you're going to need to actually have a, a, either a, a, a pulmonary function check or a medical, uh, some, some form of a physical to, to be cleared to do it. So but at minimum, you have to, those forms have to be done every year. For all, any any workers in your company that you're assigning and having them wear respirators as part of their program, that's the. I mean, that's the rule. I don't know if they're going to enforce it under this COVID thing, but that those are the rules, and they have been for a long time since '99. Yeah. So here's actually a link that you can go to. I'll, I'll post the link in the uh, the, Perfect. the the video chat. So, um, but actually, there's been a lot of documentation that OSHA kind of like, you know, said, well, this is a major expense for these companies that they we're really not going to do any oversight or actually get involved with their actual uh, compliance because that's an undue burden on them financially. So the, that doesn't mean that you, the owner of the company aren't liable. So just right, because they decided the regulation is still there, yeah, yeah. you know, it's still right. there. It, right. it's under that 1910 OSHA regulation. And the thing is, is um, you still have like, you know, a lot of the industries, I'm not going to pick on building performance. Well, I am a little, because again, you know, I, buddy of mine has a company up the street, um, uh, a chimney uh, sweep company and all his workers, he's, he's given all his workers N95s. They have not gone through a respiratory program. He goes, well, we don't have to do that. And I go, yeah, you do. Because yeah, you as the employer yeah. are giving these to your workers. You have to have a written program to be putting these out on people. They need to be trained. Okay, so um, oh, so I, I will promote something. So I, I have no take on it, but the only reason that I like feel better when I fly, and um, these are a. This is the only uh, reason you feel better when you fly. Uh, well, I feel this, so. This is a positive supply air that I can use for my basic respirator or any kind of mask. You could use your. Uh, any basic uh, ones that are even homemade masks or even kind of surgical masks. But I, I don't have a lot of faith in those, but what it's actually doing is putting supply air inside my mask so that I do my best I can to not let things into my mask. So um, if you want more, you can reach out to us, but th there's a variety of things that are becoming more innovative about that. I'm expecting fashion to uh, embrace the mask. I'm, I'm expecting more people, more things to have, you know, you've seen the people on TV that have their masks and their, and their, their scarves and they can pull them up. I'm thinking that some of those are going to become really a, a design where you have like minimum protection on one side and you flip the whole thing around and have a really good uh, N95 type of thing that gives you a better protection. I think masks are going to become something that is a marketing tool. I'm surprised it hasn't happened so already. Look like that, the Lone Ranger? Uh, well, I you should put on there, like, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm Tonto. That's what I should say. I'm Tonto. Right. Yeah. Uh, we need and I know what Tonto means. It's I know what Tonto means. It's but time I, to change topics now, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's I no, understand there's, that what the, 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 we're, the we're moving on to the there. next point. Um, okay. God, I don't know if I even want the, the next point. Um, we did, uh, you know, we, we talked in terms of uh, what, what's the definition of a healthy home? Right. And, and indoor air quality in the term IAQ, that acronym that all of us in the industry are so familiar with. But if you, if you asked a bunch of people on the street corner, 
you know, and you, you did, uh, you know, did a question and asked people what IAQ means, the answers would be hysterical because most people don't understand what that acronym means. So people about, in the industry don't know. Yeah. Well, how do you define it? I mean, well, indoor air quality is like, you know, I, I would just say it's just a, it's a measure. Well, I don't know. I, I you know, now, now, now that we you put it that way, I, I don't know if I could define it very well. Well, I mean, you just re re rearrange the words. It's the quality of the air inside your the environment. So that's mm -hmm. an easy way to, to do that. It doesn't mean that, that it's good or bad. It's just it's the quality of that air um, and, and where it's coming from or what kind of contaminants are in it. There's a variety of those conditions. So uh, let's bypass on how you test that. That's a, a whole right, other right, show right. by itself. But the but many people, I, I'm a I claim myself to be a healthy building scientists. Okay. And the reason I say that is because I'm super concerned about what's the ventilation and filtration of that, uh, that, that, that area, as well as what are the materials that were used to build that or are still inside that, that make up that environment. So if you're sensitive to the materials and uh, ventilation and filtration, then I, I think you should take the claim as you are also a healthy building scientist. You understand the conditions that go into the environment. So the one thing that I've been preaching for a long time is that <clears throat> indoor air quality is only a fraction of a healthy home. We associate them as kind of equal, but the reality is there's so many other things that go into a healthy home environment. Uh, something as simple as a trip fall hazards could be just as impactful in, uh, in terms of like the medical industry as asthma and other things. That's uh, trip fall hazards are a $30 billion uh, industry impact. Uh, anybody who has a trip fall, um, especially if they're elderly, that usually is around $18,000 plus other recovery that goes into that. So many of these are preventable. So you think about healthy homes, healthy homes means that the entire environment is healthy to the occupant. It's promoting health as much as possible and it's not diminishing. And one concept is what I describe as you can, can you say your home is healthy? No. I, 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 maybe you can't personally, but as a builder or somebody, but you can say it's healthier. healthier you can describe well. the thing healthier because you can describe what you did to make it healthier than another one. Or once we started doing, you know, ERVs or uh, <clears throat> bringing in air from outside that's filtered and replacing that air, you can explain why that's healthier. If you decide to use, you know, no carpet or a variety of low VOC um, materials in the house, you can claim that's healthier than one that has those kind of things. So if you think about how to market or how to talk about healthier homes, then think about it. It, it is it, you, all homes are healthy is what you're trying to make sure you understand that your home is not, it can't be a, uh, not really the best environment for you, but you don't want to go around telling people that their homes are unhealthy or one is, is bad because that just doesn't, that's not, that's a psychological thing that you don't really want to get into, but I can make your home healthier is the concept. And, and that doesn't just mean filtering and providing a, a makeup here. It's a whole philosophy of how people use that house. What are you cooking with? How's your, your stove exhaust? Does it actually go outside? Does it work? Uh, all those things are part of a healthy home environment. Okay. And, and I, I would concur with the fact that, you know, healthier is a better way to phrase it. And, and I, I guess I'm, I, I'm always very uh, cognizant of how, how I, or I try to be, you know, how, how I verbalize those things, uh, you know, using terms like healthier rather than healthy. Um, and that maybe that's the gun shyness for having done, you know, a, a bit of expert witness testimony in the industry as a, as, you know, professional consultant. Um, you know, so I, I'm always concerned that you just don't make claims that you can't defend, you know, I, I, it's, and it's been a 30 year path for me, but I've gotten to the point where when I'm writing something down or generally when I'm speaking, uh, unless it's at an event where I've been drinking, um, I'll, I'll usually, uh, you know, use terminology in which, you know, it's defensible. I always think in terms of, you know, when, when you're a professional for all those of your professionals in the industry, when you're writing reports and even you're just speaking to a client, think, think of how 
whatever you're describing, what you're saying to that client or whoever you're speaking to, um, how would you defend that during a deposition or if you were on a witness stand? You know, like how would would you be able to defend the words you just used? Would you actually have supporting evidence to have that be a valid claim? And if not, then you probably shouldn't be saying it. You definitely shouldn't be writing it. Yeah, I have a, a years ago, I had a mentor <clears throat> share with me something. It's, it's above my desk. It's been above my desk since the day he uh, be the source of the source that do not be the one who's claiming. You may want to think that you become smarter because you claim certain conditions, but you always want to be the source of the source. And then um, Kevin's Kennedy's our concept is that um, evidence based best practice, evidence based conclusions that where are you drawing those from and disclose that. So the last thing you want to do is being the person that's holding that claim because then they're going to eat you alive as to why did you make that up? Do you have the authority? I'm sure you can imagine all the things that people would ask you. So if my mom would understand it and understand where it came from, then I feel pretty safe about what I described to somebody. But it doesn't, you you can't go above somebody's um, basic knowledge level or assume they they know what you do. So you got to describe it in a way they can understand it. And always try, always try to uh, cite cognizant authorities as your sources, you know, when you can, you know, it's like, you know, because, because Bob or Joe said, so it's not, not really as powerful as because ASHRAE or ACGIH said so, you know, and it just, you know, I I love it because I get to review a lot of other consultants reports, especially uh, in the mold, uh, you know, venue, you know, when you're dealing with mold issues and I see some reports that are just people make claims that just, Oh Lord, right. you know, like, I don't know, you know, take three spore traps in a house and you're going to make definitive claims about what's happening in that house. Oh, come on. Get me on the other side as the expert witness. Well, you're shredded. Well, yeah. Ba- based on like my experience, well. based on my yeah. experience, you so always say, like, yeah, well, you know, it's, and I like the term this, and again, this is just me. I, I like, I say this in reports too. I'll say something suggests based on our limited data and site visit information, it suggests blah, blah, blah. You know, or maybe strongly suggests, you know, if it's something that I, you know, I really feel like there's some data to support it, but like to, to make definitive claims is, you know, that's, that's a, that's a right. tough word to back out of if it, if it isn't. <laughs> Based on these conditions present at the time of inspection, uh, here's what I uh, have concluded was present then, you know, that's, you need to really kind of clarify as to what it yeah. is and when it was. And I always put, you know, I always put this other paragraph at the end of every report that says, you know, um, you know, this is, this, the, these, the data and the, uh, you know, the interpretations and the opinions rendered herein are based on a limited, limited field site visits and limited data at the time. And there may be other considerations, you know, other things that weren't consideration that would have, you know, that would, change it change the outcome blah 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 it's basically i always like to have the back door to the alamo if i'm going to go into the alamo i want a tunnel out the back of it right so the one advice that i got which i share every time i talk to people that assess homes is (coughs) pardon me it's important you tell them what you evaluated or inspected and where you went those are just kind of like basic i evaluated blah blah but it's important to tell them what you didn't see and where you didn't go. So just because you said you went in the attic, they assumed that you went to every square inch of that attic and you were able to see everything, including other under the insulation or all these things. Uh, uh, people that read your report just are make assumptions that you can see behind walls. So you need to clarify that I went into the attic, I went 12 feet down the middle of the attic and it was limited by you know physical objects and other conditions yeah. and insulation. So there are things that I could not actually see and weren't exposed at the time. But that is something most people do not do. They don't talk about what it is they couldn't see. What were their limitations? Right. And so that's what they're implying people make assumptions when they read a report that it's much more exhaustive than it may have been. 
That's right. I went to the attic. That really. And, and so why didn't you see this? It was over in the far left corner at the eaves. Why didn't you catch that? Yeah. You know, like that's like saying I went to the mall. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's actually nothing like that. Hey, you know, um, we're, we're five minutes out. One thing I want to plug is next week's show because we have a really cool show coming up that you're not even aware of yet. So we have okay. author Emily Anthes, and I probably mispronounced your name, and I'll have that correct, before Emily, before you show up next week. But she's the author of the recently released book titled The Great Indoors, The Surprising Science of How Buildings Shape Our Behavior, Health, and Happiness. Okay, so wow. we're actually show, she'll be wow. joining us next week. So that I'm Great. very excited about that. Um, we will not be talking as much as we will this week. So that's for sure. We'll be listening well, next week a lot. I'm hoping, you know, I mean, we, we have a tendency to speak quite a bit, don't we? You know, I'm finding, you know, normally I don't have time to, to actually uh, sit back and, and even monitor, monitor myself in the monitor. This is weird this week, not having guests, just having you there, Joe. So I'm not really conscious of what you're doing. I'm just whatever. But I'm noticing that I tend to look down a lot and it looks like I'm half asleep because my angle on my camera is making my eyes look very sleepy. And I'm unlike Joe, who is actually very sleepy right now. Uh, we weren't going to talk about personal conditions on the show, Bob. So, okay. Well, I mean, you already just talked about sleep. Already, sleep. my Sleep deprivation. I'm not, you know. I'm not yeah, you already brought up the blankie, else. okay? We already brought I did up the blankie. Up the blankie. I know. Yes. Okay, got it. Okay. Um, so, wait, it's that time of the show where I get to do my one role here, okay? I get to do a couple of images at the end, and usually I'm the one that says, okay, it's time to, to pause. So, uh, I'm going to ask you to uh, make uh, two predictions now because we're like in the middle of the year. So, I want to go on record as to like, here's some things that uh, we're going to say we think is going to happen all right between now and december 1st okay you, you can have a couple if you want but uh i am looking for information what you think is going to be in terms of our uh sars covid 2 that's happening um things that are happening economically things that may happen with the election whatever they are we're just going to just say you know what here's our opinion about what we think is going to happen uh in the next five months so what what what, what are some of the things that you feel like I doesn't mean that I hope they come true. It just means that, unfortunately, these are some of the paths that we're on right now. Okay. Well, you know, you did blindside me with that one, buddy. Um, so I did. <laughs> for, for, for what it's worth. Um, well, see, because I'm also trying to couch what I'm going to say now, too, because obviously I, I'm, I'm a, an individual with strong I'll go uh, first. conviction. I, I, I asked that if you want. I'll go first if you want to. I'll, I'll let you go second. first. It'll give me a chance to marinate a little bit on it, because I, I just want to make sure that I don't go. You know, I want to try to stay somewhat apolitical, which for me is a challenge that I do that for 60 minutes a week. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's impossible to be apolitical and talk about some of the things we've already talked about because people I, I know, think that, you know, that we're well, you brought up uh, the election and, and, and that just worries the hell out of me because I'm not sure what I would say. I'm afraid to say anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, saying, you know, you can be uh, maybe obvious who you think I, I'm supporting, but that doesn't matter. I think just what's going on on the surveys and other things I'm reading back is what I'm basing my opinion on. I mean, if it was what it was four years ago, I'd be like, it's a shot in the dark. We have no idea. We learned a major lesson four years ago is what we thought would happen didn't happen. So, uh, but we have different indicators now. So um, okay. I, I do think Joe Biden will win. Uh, I'm concerned about, to be honest, I will go on record. I'm concerned about um, Joe Biden's health. I, I, those are things that I'm kind of concerned about is that this has been a strange year and, and strange things could happen at any time. Any, anybody could have a significant issue, even uh, our, our current president. But those are the things I'm kind of concerned about is will everybody stay healthy before November 1st is number one. Um, I do think that there will be a, a challenging time um, after the election as to how people want to move to this 
potentially a new change of, uh, of, of leadership. So uh, I'm hopefully that there will be some compromise that happens on everybody's part to realize what we need to do to get our economy and uh, this pandemic back in order. Uh, I do uh, unfortunately feel that the pandemic is going to explode until we all just realize that this is actually our duty to figure out how to do this. And we are just embarrassing ourselves and just won't admit it that unless we figure out a way to every time you do something that when you leave your house, that you're trying to make sure this actually gets squashed, our economy can't recover. I think we think about it more about the, the larger implications that are happening. Once we do that, we will do that. But I still think we are we will approach 200,000 deaths before the, our election. I do agree with those kind of statements that are out there right now. So those are my predictions that we will We'll look back on this as to be like, what the hell happened to us at this time? It, it, it'll be a shock when our kids are our age and read about what the hell, why did other countries squash this and we couldn't figure it out? Well, All right, Bob, you're up. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, so I, I'm going to elaborate on, on that a little bit. So um, I don't, I don't want to make an election prediction because I made one four years ago and it, it was off. Uh, but but laboring under the pretense that we may have a, you know, a, a change at the helm, you know, we're going to, my fear, this, this, this is a big fear is that you're going to have a lame duck session, right? There could be a change in the Senate. There could be a, you know, a change of power and you're going to have this two and a half month window that is going to be, you know, very, you know, a massive grab for what's left of power and trying to initiate things. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to coincide with the second wave of this uh, pandemic. It's, it'll be it'll be concurrent, you know, I mean, potentially right November. I mean, could be mm -hmm. when this thing ramps up to like, you know, record levels. If it's if it's anything uh, reminiscent of the uh, the Spanish flu of 1918. Right. The, that timing, you know, and again, you can't you, you to conflate those two. You know, it just doesn't make sense anyway, because they're totally different diseases. But the fact is, is from a timing standpoint, if we are in a change of power simultaneously with a massive, massive recurrence of the pandemic which is a possibility in some people's radar they, they see it that way what happens then we didn't handle the first wave very well as you, you know, our first wave isn't over our first well i know it's not over that's what i'm saying it's not it's not even over it's you know because i think i think everybody had this people are too used to watching movies you know like uh you know contagion <laughs> and stuff where you know in you know an hour and 48 minutes the plot plays out <laughs> Right, you know, right. You know, it, we have the peak. It's horrible, and you know, the heroine or whoever, you know, they, they come in, they they rescue, and it's and and now ah, and everything's good. You know, it's like, but this is like not a peak in a valley. It's really a series, right? It's more like a electrocardiogram that you're looking at, electroencephalogram. Um, so, I I, 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 I'm very concerned. I'm not gonna lie, dude. I, I'm concerned about what what we're potentially facing in the next few months, uh, and I and I think what's in any event, what's really important is we've, I think we've not done a great job, and that's an understatement, of handling this on a federal level um, and having good leadership, you know, as far as just direction. And again, I'm not naming individuals. I'm just saying in general, I don't think, I, I don't think we led ahead of the problem. I think we let the problem drag us, you know, and, and react to it. And we were very reactionary. So I would, I would like to hope that we, at the very least, if there is a second wave of this and potentially if it's a worse thing that we have learned something from this first phase um, and maybe we will do better in the second phase. I'm, I'm not confident that'll happen. Well, the only, I, I think that we, when we first went, it was kind of a shock value. We didn't know what to do now. We know at least how to do it or 
people can, there are some industries where you can still work. You just have yeah. to have oh, extra precautions. Yeah. You're not going to go into not, restaurants even in the winter. Yeah. Did you see the recent uh, the recent stuff out? Um, I, I read a couple of articles saying that uh, it looks like the the medical community is uh, once again going to be short on personal protective equipment. We're already right. we're already bearing down less than thirty day supply of uh, respirators, you know, N95s, things like that. It's like how in the hell five months into this are we still having this problem? And I mean, that's a rhetorical question. I mean, honestly, it doesn't make any sense to me that we are one of the most powerful nations in the world. We have resources beyond belief and we can't get freaking respirators made and available for health professionals that need them. Right. Now, come on. Well, there, there was a study that showed that um, that the United States and uh, UK were probably the number one um, countries um, ready for some type of pandemic. We had a pandemic plan and all that kind of stuff and only to find out that we actually performed the worst once it actually hit it. Yeah. Well, it, it, again, it has, I mean, some, it, there's, a, it, it's a much bigger issue, right? Cause there's a healthcare, you know, the, the, the healthcare systems haven't have obviously a serious effect on it. Um, you know, I think just the disproportion, like, you know, we talked about some of the inequalities, right. And certain communities are, you know, going to be more affected by things like this. So, so we, we've got a ways to go. <laughs> there's a, you know, I, and, I think the biggest thing, you know, I would say to anybody out there watching, um, you know, whether you agree with Joe or my opinion on this, uh, it, it doesn't really matter. But I think take the time to educate yourself. I mean, read and don't just read from one source. That's what I, I'd always implore everybody. You know, if you're of, uh, you know, more of a liberal persuasion, don't keep your face just stuck in uh, HuffPost and MSNBC. And if you're of a more conservative persuasion, you know, if your entire uh, ingestion of information is through Fox and Breitbart, you're not doing yourself any favor. Yeah, I, I think you need to go even outside the U.S. Right, read global stuff. Read, you know, share. You know, try to critically view a lot of information from a lot of sources, and that's how, that's how you can get a more balanced view of what's actually happening. Well, if you're here, you're probably in our industry for the first, for the first most, mostly, whatever the heck that word was, and uh, that means you probably have a, are used to going to a variety of sources to make conclusions. So. That's just kind of reiterate that you're already used to doing that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons I want to make our predictions because one of our first shows they had on and people were not, they weren't recommending masks. And you and I were talking about why are we not recommending masks? So I just wanted us to go on record because I, I wish that I'd gone on record stronger to be like, why are we not wearing masks? And we had professionals on that show that said, well, be careful what you say. I'm like, yeah, but I really think that this is actually just something that could help our entire stop challenge. your distribution to others which and we were right. saying that and that's true you know not to not to you know try to champion ourselves and pat our backs but it's the truth you and i both were saying that uh in a group of other people that weren't necessarily buying into it <laughs> yeah and um i understand why we were not promoting masks as a nation is because we didn't have enough that was that was one of the reasons that people were saying no 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 they're okay because if everybody to go out and buy masks that we would actually have a major shortage for hospitals mm -hmm. and uh, first responders so that's really a sad state that we got ourselves a in. more major shortage well it is another prediction that we will we will become more self-sustainable as a country we will now not be dependent upon some other country to provide things that we think must be necessary at home okay. just like people are, are preppers i hope so u.s is going to head we're, we're going to become our own prepper we, we, yeah i, I do predict I that so. people are going to be like it's it'll be a little more expensive but you know what you when, when people need them people you know they're going to be like oh thank god there's a place in nebraska that makes that i'm happy it's here yeah all right okay
That was great. I can't believe we killed an hour without even an effort. We, we could have kept going too. We're we're already on, we're on a rampage. Uh, we should have just had beers here too. That would have been better. Um, so uh, plug for uh, Hayward Score again. Uh, Joe, tell us about uh, why people would want to go to your website, your organization's website, and uh, actually partake in the Hayward Score. So we have uh, some just amazing resources that you can go to and find on Hayward Score from anything from uh, do-it-yourself to things you could use as a contractor to give to your clients. Um, I, I keep being blown away by uh, some of the great stuff on the resource page. Um, but if you want to find out more about is your home, uh, we used to say impacting your health, but now it's more like is your home um, improving your health or embracing your health? Is it is it the place that you want to have as a refuge? You can go to Hayward Score. You can use it as a tool as a contractor. So simply HaywardScore.com. We'll get you there, and that's where all the resources are, and actually the uh, the uh, the interactive survey is on that same site. So I appreciate all of Bob's resources. In fact, I'll try to plug Bob as he talks about his uh, uh, what he, what Healthy Indoors is doing. Sure. Okay. Well, um, obviously, um, in addition to being uh, your weekly host on the Healthy Indoors show on this live stream and the podcast, uh, I am the founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors magazine. We are well. We are a couple things. Uh, at HealthyIndoors.com is pretty much our mothership. And we have a digital monthly publication called Healthy Indoors Magazine. It's free to everyone. Uh, you can get a free subscription to that. Um, filled with good information. You just uh, go to healthyindoors.com to that. Click on the magazine site and you can uh, read any of the uh, back issues. We have issues dating all the way back to uh, 2013. We started it seven years ago. Um, amazing also- resource. It really is an amazing resource. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, it, you know, it's been a labor of love. I'll, I'll give it that. Um, you know, we've covered a lot of topics with a lot more topics to cover. Uh, also, the the HI show tab will get you to um, this show, all the back issues, all the back episodes, I should say, um, as well as access to the podcast. And we have a separate tab for the podcast, but you can get to it in either. So if you uh, choose not to look at Joe's and my lovely faces, you can listen to us audio only. That's that's an option. Uh, so I highly recommend you do that. If you don't have uh, if you haven't subscribed to Healthy Indoors magazine, you should because it's free. And why not? Um, we also are going to be launching a new quarterly worldwide edition um, more on that in about a week or two, we'll uh, have a grand debut, but just so you know, it's, uh, it's coming, you know, it's, uh, with articles from all over the planet. Um, again, it'll be a quarterly digital, uh, more of a living document, a little bit different format than healthy, our, uh, flagship healthy indoors magazine. Uh, but again, stories uh, of interest, I think to many of you uh, watching this show. So, uh, with that again, uh, reminder again of next week with the show with Emily, uh, uh, Anthes, uh, and her book, the great indoors, uh, we'll be talking about that. And that, that's, I'm really looking forward to that conversation. And also this Tuesday, again, find uh, another plug for Dr. David Krauss will be, uh, giving that webinar on behalf of the Paul corporation, Paul medical, uh, talking about, uh, managing Legionella risks and building water systems, uh, especially, uh, restarting buildings after COVID. So that's something we'll have that up on our website and there'll also be on, uh, it'll be a post on healthyindoors.com. You can register for free for that next Tuesday, 1 PM Eastern daylight time. So uh, I guess with that, Joe, as always, it's always a pleasure having you here. Stay safe, um, everybody. Yeah. He, you know, definitely try to, um, what I would recommend is, um, you know, keep your eyes on this stuff. Don't, don't let your guard down this. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but this, uh, this COVID pandemic is far from over. Um, and this is not a time to be non-vigilant. I'm not trying to be a fear monger or anything. I'm just being a realist. Okay. Uh, you know, 
keep keep vigilant you know we're, we're going to get through this but you know keep yourself and your family safe so for that uh, and with that i should say um for the healthy indoors show and healthy indoors magazine i'm bob krell we'll see you next week Thank you.